Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What is up, Dream Builder? Welcome back to the show. Today's guest, we have the incredible Mr. Dr. Fred Moss. Fred, you want to go ahead and say what is up to Dream Nation? Dream Nation, what's up? What's up? It's great to be with you this morning. Thanks for having us, Casanova. I'm looking forward to this amazing conversation with you and with our listeners. So let's rock this thing. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it as well. So the way that, I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes, but the way that I always love to start off these shows is I compare us as thought leaders, change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly, we're flying around the world, whether that means physically, literally, or even now, this is digitally, virtually through Zooms and like we're on right now. And we're putting on our cape and we're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. And I know that that's what you've been doing for probably you know, 40 plus years. And so my question for you is, I know a lot of the people, they know who Superman is. Why? Because we've seen him on the TV. We've seen that S on the chest. But when the cameras are off and he goes home, a lot of the times what we don't really know how to describe is who is that Clark Kent on the backside? So my question for you is people have seen you in publications. They've read articles. They've heard, you know, your wisdom. But when there's no cameras on, take us back and tell us behind the scenes, who is that Clark Kent or Fred Moss? Yeah, that's a really, really great question to start off with. I, uh, you know, in some ways, I feel like I'm an ultimate fit for this world. And in other ways, I feel like the ultimate misfit for this world. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, that I came to the world as a joyful communicator Um, I came in order to bring peace and bring connection to the family that I was born into. And, you know, I was given some blessings and some skills um, in in my mind and my capacity to communicate and my capacity to uh, bring people together. And, you know, ultimately, when I'm sitting alone, I don't know how I got to be here. So it's sort of like as the story you told me about your life, there's something like really riding with the wave and um, realizing and exploring and embracing uh, both the pain and the beauty of this life and, um, you know, wondering how and what I'm going to do next to make a difference and who I can count on and who I cannot count on and being disgusted and uh, also being, um, you know, somehow faithful and hopeful and um, using my communication skills. And then I, you know, I just really just want to be I, I just want peace, you know, really. I, I just want p- peace and fun and love and um, I want to play. And I feel like I'm still that uh, four-year-old who hasn't yet started kindergarten. And I can't wait to start kindergarten to see my friends and learn how to play and learn how to like communicate and be together and make the world a place that's uh, useful and uh Boy, the weight of the world has been rough recently, so um, I'm feeling like uh, I'm concerned and feeling like potentially squashed at times, and then at other times, it's like, well, look, I'm still a dreamer and still creating all sorts of things with all sorts of people, including on this show this morning, and uh, with that, mm, it's somehow, okay, get up, take a shower, put one foot in front of the other, and see what today has to bring. Yeah, no, and there's so much that I want to unpack there. But let me ask you, let take it back. Talk to us a little bit about as you were growing up, uh, because just like you said, everybody, when you're going off to kindergarten, and uh, and I shared with you, my wife and I, we just opened up daycare center today is the official day that we opened it up and it went live to our families. Um, but obviously, a lot of those kids, they're excited. There's an indoor playground set. So when they first walked in, it was almost like Disney World. But for you, as you were growing up at what point did you start to see the world in a different place that you said, listen, I need to make change? Reason being is because when you're young, you don't see a lot of the negatives, you know, the negative aspects of it. At what point was that for you? Did something happen? Like, did you, did, did, 
you grew up in a family where you're like, hey, I have a lot of love, but then when I go to the outside world, it feels like that there's negative all day long, or was it vice versa? Well, I think I th there was a lot of love in my neighborhood, and there was enough love in my family. There was lots going on. I think the event that really, believe it or not, I think the event that really had me double-check all of life was uh, Kennedy being shot in the head. I think that that day, on November twenty second, 1963, I was five years old, and when that happened, the world came, you know, you obviously weren't around, but when that happened, the world came to a standstill for a moment for all of us. And, you know, everyone had changed. And, you know, then uh, shortly thereafter, within about four or five months, the Beatles arrived uh, from Liverpool and on Ed Sullivan. And that was like, wow, there's, you know, there's uh, a, like there, there's this possibility of fun or love or peace or pursuit of things that matter you know my brothers were um i had two brothers 10 and 14 years older than me and they were activists and um uh, in different areas in the world of um you know when there was a lot of things going on the war in vietnam or, or, or different uh different things happening in the revolutions of the 60s and i was being dragged around by them and learning what the world had to offer but uh, and learning that I might have to take a stand. I was always tall. I was always really smart in school. I had a big mouth, so I was well-known, and um, I was a pretty good athlete, and so I had things going on that it was like I knew I was being counted on to make a difference, and I could make a difference in many different directions. I could cause significant damage if I wanted to, or I could actually heal the people around me and uh, bring joy, pleasure, and, and purpose. And uh, I'd have to say that those events, you know, I'm, I, when I look at before the Kennedy assassination, it was a different world. But on November 22nd, when I came home from playing basketball and walked into the living room and my parents were there crying their eyes out, watching this little black and white TV. And we, uh, you know, learned that the president was dead. And I was like, well, you know, I have a sore thumb. I think I jammed my thumb in a basketball that morning. And uh, it's like, oh, there, there's stuff in the world that's bigger than me that needs needs some attention. And um, I wonder what I'm going to be called on to do. I think there was a space that if it was Clark Kent or just, you know, Fred Moss, I, there was a space where I wonder what I was going to be called on to do. I love it. And you said this was when you were five? Wow. So the first thing that went through my mind is, wow, like us really not thinking about a child of how much that one moment, any significant moment at the age of five can really impact the rest of someone's life. Because we think, oh, they're so young, right? They won't remember, especially something like that if you didn't physically witness it, right? So you're kind of hearing the aftermath of the story. So you're like, oh, you know, someone passed away. But that's a big, big thing. I think anybody who has younger brothers and sisters or who is a mentor to someone, it's it's saying, hey, even though a child is four or five or six years old, still understand that what they're exposed to could really change their life for the good or for the bad is the takeaway that I got away from that. So still protect their mindset at all costs, because even though they're young, it could still be very detrimental if they don't see it in the right light. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, we're very impressionable is the word that I'm coming with, you know, the mm -hmm. idea that uh, there wasn't much down, you know, other than just playing or, you know, figuring out which foods I liked or, you know, um, yanking around with my with my stuffed animals or my little sister or my playpen or, you know, kitchen naps or whatever I was doing, there, playing basketball, there wasn't that much, uh, there wasn't that much foundation laid down. And so... When, when that event happened, um, I could tell that the world had skipped a beat at least. And, and, you know, I didn't know that it was as large as it was. I didn't know that when I say Kennedy assassination, uh, literally 60 years later, everyone knows about the day I'm talking about, you know, I, I didn't know it was that big, but I knew it was big. You could, it was a big, big enough deal, you know, and there, you know, these days here we are 60 years later and when. If anyone says Kennedy assassination, there's nobody out there who's going to wait. Wait, who who's Kennedy? There's nobody. There's nobody who says that. A hundred percent of us know who Kennedy was, at least in our own upbringing and history. 
And uh, going through an event like that, it really did lay down a, a brick, a brick in the, in the ground, you know, a brick to walk on or um, a hurdle or a challenge or a, um, you know, an impactful event that, that, that certainly left me um, startled and then maybe fortified or galvanized to uh, think about what I could do in this world. Well, how can I make it a better place? Yeah. No, and and I definitely would say everyone would know, you know, at least for my generation and above, definitely knows who um, Kennedy is. Let me ask, let me ask you this. So you, a lot of what I've heard is influence, right? You said when I was younger, even though probably in your teen years, you you were a pretty good athlete. Uh, at those ages, is where you're really trying to figure out who you want to be as a adult, right? As in like you're 16, 17 years old, but you know that right around the corner, you're going to be 18 and and considered quote unquote an adult. And so at that time, you have a lot of influence of things of what you can do, especially if you're in sports. So my question is, what was the thing that grounded you to go right or left, whichever way you want to see it, of the positive route rather than the everything is all about me, society is all about me, because I feel a lot of the times now people have that power, but they don't take it to the positive. This is why negative media travels, what, five times faster than positive media. So what was that thing for you? Was it your family still? Was it your church? Was it, you know, the, the sports team you were on? What what held you grounded to go the positive route? Well, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure. I think, uh, you know, some things happened that sent me down a negative route, actually. And, um, you know, I, uh, I had a girlfriend when I was 13 uh, at camp and we were inseparable, have a beautiful summer together. And then she also, she died. Uh, she got killed eight weeks after camp ended. And so one Sunday I woke up and I learned she was dead. And that, that event was, uh, that was also another sort of brutal event. And, you know, that same year, there was a lot of difficulties in my family. My dad was not in good health and his business crashed. And, um, you know, there were riots in Detroit that year. I was growing up in Detroit. So the riot, I could see the city burning from my house. And uh, it, there was a lot of uh, surrender or despair that I experienced. Um, what was going through your mind as, as this is going on? Because 13 is a prime year now. You know, what, what's going through your mind as you're thinking all that? Is it just feel like woe is me? No, nah, more WTF for the most part, you know, like... Uh, like, uh, wow, I'm, this is sort of where like misfit starts fitting in that I have more pain now, you know, I have a, a lot of pain that I got to deal with and then, um, it's not going to work out or, uh, uh, I've had enough or F this S, you know, and it's like, uh, I think there was, uh, you know, for me, there was, uh, I don't need to try so hard. I don't need to be in the front of the class. I don't need to be the best athlete. I don't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the best athlete, but I was a pretty good athlete, but I didn't care anymore about that. I, you know, and, uh, I think I, I fell off the wagon a little bit and I liked, I liked smoking marijuana and that was, uh, that was a real treat for me. It was a space where I could find some peace. Um, I no longer spent very much time, uh, trying to be a great student. And I think it, more than anything though, I continue to be fun. I think I, I let fun continue to drive me forward. So even if I was sneering or laughing at the society or laughing at people or, uh, giving up, there was something about bringing fun and intelligence and clear headedness, uh, into the issues and not being Mm, maybe, maybe it's not being, um, like paying attention to corruption and paying attention to not being just led down dark alleys, uh, somehow exploring the world, every single point of the world that I could, and I have explored much of the world, but also doing so with some degree of rootedness of skepticism, healthy skepticism and, um, that someday, someday going through the world the way I was going, I would someday it would all add up to making a, a positive difference. And I think that's where I've landed today. But it has been a pretty long ride through both dark and light times. 
Yeah, no, and definitely. So my question is, what what do you think as you went through this first phase where you were saying, you know, F this, W2F, like how much of that was your environment that you were in and how much of it was the reason that you were, your same environment was the reason that you were able to make a change? Like, was all of your friends like, yeah, man, we don't need this. We don't, we don't need to deal with this. Or was it like, you felt at that time is where you became a misfit because everything was going right, but you started to take personal blows. So even though it looked like your community, your circle over here is still going right to the up and right, but you're taking all of these blows. So you start to go left because you're feeling like that you're maybe the unlucky one or you're maybe, you know, mad at life. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're lost and you feel like you're ostracized in, in kind of that route. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I didn't, I never, um, you know, here and there I had uh, episodes of being ostracized, but generally I think because I had a pretty good sense of humor and because I'm pretty smart and um, pretty vocal and, um, you know, I, I I keep myself out in out in front of the crowd, I don't ever think I went through a massive level of ostracization, but I think what what I did was kind of check out, you know, I, again, in the world of, um, you know, I had a dog I really loved, and in the world of, again, I liked whether it was staying out late at night or uh, just riding my bike into areas that, of the of the city that maybe I wasn't allowed to go or uh, hitchhiking in the areas of the city all the way downtown if I wanted to just on my own. Um, it was a matter of sort of um, surrendering and giving up and learning. Now, I had the aspiration to go to the University of Michigan and somehow I was going to hang on to that through my teenage years. And I did end up going to the University of Michigan. I, I uh, And I fell in love with Ann Arbor, but Michigan, the university kind of ate me up. So I dropped out a couple times. Um, and it was really just, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to take the next step that could be reparative, you know, that could allow me to stand in my true self. And it was not easy standing in my true self because I was living a life that was inconsistent with my true self in many ways. And, uh, I, I again, only recently after all these decades of life, do I now find myself speaking more of my truth, you know, like actually being me. Um, I think I, you know, going to medical school, which is eventually I did go to medical school and I'm a doctor for the last 30 couple, 32 years. It was, uh, opportunity in both to have an extremely powerful position in the community, but also to, you know, I'm asked to be something that not, I'm not, might not necessarily actually be. I'm actually to stand for something that I maybe my real self, uh, really is skeptical about. And, um, uh, as I backed out of medicine, as I started to, you know, no longer do conventional medicine, that's when I really found myself again and found my true voice. And actually today, as you're hearing me, it's much more the voice of that four-year-old than any time ever in my life. I just the same guy. I'm 60 years older than four, but in those 60 years, I've been around and seen a lot and tried this and tried that and tried faking this and faking that and, you know, tasting this and tasting that and going there and going there. And uh, and now I'm back to being that four-year-old with a wise vocabulary. And now, now the idea is to uh, continue to source people to find their real selves and to find their true voice because uh, there's nothing more valuable than being authentic and being genuine. And that's what my, you know, that's, that's who I am for the world now. Yeah, there's so much power in that. Do you remember the event because going through medicine, obviously, you put a lot of your life into being, studying and passing these exams. And then all of a sudden you pass and it's the best time of your life. You have the um, the, accol the accolades, right? You're now accredited. You now have the recognition of he's a doctor. He's almost at the highest level that anyone could be, you know, outside of the president. What is that moment that makes you say, you know what, I have to put medicine behind me, at least the conventional route and go my own? Like, what was that event? Well, um, it's interesting. You know, I also went to school in Chicago. So I went downtown. I was in Northwestern downtown and 800 North. And that's where I, that's where I was for five years. And that's where the school was. And I lived in near North for um, the last three years of that. 
And uh, when I got accepted to to medical school, I realized that I was going to get a, a badge of honor and that I was going to have some some uh, sort of um, default power in the world. That if once I put MD at the back end of my name, people were going to have to listen to me. I was going to have to be like all of a sudden I was going to have some street cred that was a whole different level than the cred I had already already earned. And uh, so medical school was also kind of a, you know, it was a challenge because what I was learning and I already knew that what I was learning in medical school wasn't going to be what was applied in my world beyond. I love Chicago, but I didn't love medical school. I, I, I love the streets of Chicago all the way from the south side, all the way up to, you know, all the way up into the into the North Burbs and um, the. uh I think what, you know, I, I came out and now, it, frankly, and my story goes is that I was now medicating, you know, psychiatry became a medicating field while I was there. I went in so that I wouldn't have to medicate and I came out and now have medicated, you know, in my career over a hundred thousand prescriptions that I've written. So this idea of writing prescriptions, um, like telling people that if you're uncomfortable, there must be something wrong with you was never set for real with me. I, I was, if, there's, mm -hmm. if you're uncomfortable, there's nothing wrong with you. This is called, this is called discomfort. That's what that is. And that's part of life. Uh, you don't need a doctor just because you're uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, congratulations. It's an uncomfortable world that we're in. And in 2006, I began to do things that um, doctors typically don't do. And that was when I had enough of the duplicity and decided that I would start taking people off of medicine and start uh, really looking at people for what they are rather than some sort of simple diagnosis that I or some other doctor had given them. So um, I, I had some super success by doing that, taking people off their diagnosis, taking people off their medicine, and they got better. Reliably, they got better. And sometimes their, their, all their symptoms disappeared and they you know gained a new lease on life. They were... Uh, uh, expecting to be on medicines their whole life and have a diagnosis and now they could walk out without a diagnosis and without any medicine and actually get their life back. And that was, I think, a really major turning point. I call that my true voice moment. And um, I began to be a healer. I began to, again, reinvest that um, connection, that human connection resonating with another person is the source and the foundation of all healing, of all conditions, of all types, everywhere. And funky as it is, that isn't how doctors see the world. And I had been taught to see the world differently. And so me saying, come on now, human connection is at the source of all healing and having other people like, whoa, that's radical. I'm like, no, actually, that's not even radical at all. That's little four-year-old Freddie talking still to a truth. Uh, human connection is at the heart of all healing. Y'all know that just as well as I do. I mean, we learned that before we even started learning other things. So I have grown and developed into just knowing that um, at the bottom of the at the bottom of the ocean, at the bottom of the pool, what we really want to do is just connect with other people and be heard for who we are. Uh, and um, once that happens, there's that's where massive, authentic, genuine, foundational healing occurs. Yeah, so much wisdom right there. The first thing that I guess I was wondering is, as you said, 2006, you you started to find things that uh, you didn't feel set right with your soul that you were doing for your patients. Now, at this time, were you a part of someone else's practice or did you have your own practice? No, I never was a part of anyone else's practice. I was all, all 32. I mean, that's not quite true. In 1991, for a couple of years, I was part of someone's practice. But once I broke away from that, 1993, let's say, I, uh, I was always, always pretty much a sole practitioner. I had a practice other people were part of. I, I led a practice for a while. But then when I, I had nine therapists working for me, but um, I, went, I took that down to one therapist. And then um, after that, it was really just, I was, you know, I would cross cover other doctors in Cincinnati where I was uh, raising my family. And that's where my practice really grew. Um, but for the most part, I was, uh, I, I was a sole practitioner. Gotcha. And the reason why I asked this is because 
You said in 2006, you found yourself doing things that you didn't feel like set right with your soul. Who influenced that? What I was trying to get at, I guess, for me was how much of this do you think was a part of the system of the way that you got your foundation built? I guess let's say 92, 91, and maybe even the prior years, as opposed to was it your beliefs that you should have been doing it this way and then you just flipped it? Or was it like, no, that's what my my community was doing. So that's what I felt like I had to do. No, it would be a more than B for sure. It's definitely not what my community was doing. I I don't know anybody who did what I did. I, I still don't know anybody who did what I did as of this very day. I have no, I have no community. So give us, cause I, now I'm curious and I'm sure somebody else is watching or listening. What are the things that was so bad that made you switch up a practice of what you've known for 10 to 12 years? What in 2006 did you feel was so bad? You're like, I can't keep doing this. Um, psychiatry is a brutal field. I, you know, I, I, it just is. And, uh, we, we go in there and we make judgments about people, about whether or not they're well enough to be considered like normal. And we don't have any clue who normal is. We medicate people and drown them of their, not only their sorrows, but all of their emotions. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Uh, we, there's a judgment, there's the stuff that happens behind closed doors in locked units, inpatient units in nursing homes, um, or jails or prisons, uh, or rehab centers or courtrooms that, um, where psychiatry has wields massive power. And sometimes I was signing off on orders that I knew were wrong. And, um, and, and, and when I realized that uh, I wasn't just uh, complacently allowing this to go on. But if you ever look at the document in the future, someone will say, who signed off on this? And at the bottom of that, it'll be Dr. Fred Moss who signed off on it. So I wasn't just allowing it to happen. I was actually ordering it to happen. And that was where my soul was being sacrificed. Each and every time I would order something that was barbaric or uh, counterintuitive or um, authoritarian or like what was the drive in that? Like, were you, was it, did you have a contract with like the government or somebody where you knew if you just signed off so many orders that you would get X amount of money? Or was it like, what, what was the driver? It's just a job description. That's just what doctors do. Gotcha. You don't even have to read the chart. You just sign the chart. You just, you know, you know wow. Thousands and thousands and thousands of charts. You can't read them. You have to sign off on what was done. Gotcha. And and wow, uh, wow. it's not just doctor. It's not just psychiatry. That's that's modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Now there'll be doctors out there who are listening and watching. Like, no, I read every chart. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you're busy, you don't. You know. And and you know sometimes. And it's not like a lot of time, but enough times. You know, someone would be secluded, or someone get too much medicine, or you know, someone be brought in by the legal system or by their parents, and there'd be unfair. There'd be massive levels of uh, inequity going on, and I would it would be it would be difficult to stand in the middle and you sort of represent what I thought was true on the one hand, and what the system was asking me to do on the other hand. And more frequently than not, the doctor does what the system is asking him to do. Mm-hmm. And that level of uh, heart-wrenching soul sacrifice can take a toll. So sometime in 2006, there was other things going on in my personal world and in my professional world and my, you know, my marriage and my own personal health and my relationship with my daughter. And, um, you know, there were things going on that just went crash in 2006, sort of like 1971 when, um, when my girlfriend died or was even 1963 when Kennedy got his head blown off. There's these... You know, there's these events that happen or these turning points in life where you're just like, well, uh, I can't keep doing this anymore. Even if it means the end of my life, I can't keep doing this anymore. Like I'm willing to in 2006, it was like, well, I can't keep the masquerade going that I'm okay with all of this. So I'm going to have to start doing some things differently or else go find a new job altogether and, you know, go, I don't know, do something else. It wasn't like I needed to be a doctor. I knew that I could. Um, 
go be a barista or go travel the world or go, you know, learn how to do computers or whatever else I needed to do. There was something like uh, balls to the wall, like throwing it all in and and uh, taking a look at what really what really matters in my life. So uh, it wasn't like I was following any crowd. That's for sure. It was I was I was breaking away from the crowd and doing what I knew was right, which was getting people better. Yeah, no. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think that, and that's huge for some people to hear, right? Because there's, they either have, maybe have a family member or maybe themselves have been, you know, a part of the system over the last couple of years. And they felt like they've been wrongfully medicated or they've had a doctor who hasn't shown that interest in them. Right. And, and so now it's, it's kind of that validation of, Hey, I'm not really crazy, but just like you said, they've given me these drugs and they've mandated I take it and it's drowned out not only my sorrows, but also my emotions as well. And now I'm feeling like a great transition and segue to it of how do I find my voice again? Because I feel like everything I say, everything I do, people are already looking at me in a certain light that says that I'm crazy. Uh, so how do I find a way to speak up to let people know, no, I'm here without having to be medicated, modern style. Well, that isn't that the challenge of life for these days, you know, and maybe the biggest challenge in the world, you know, the biggest threat in the world today is not what you think it is. After all, the biggest threat in the world today is not a virus. It's not climate change. It's not racism. It's not sex trafficking. It's not even war. The biggest threat in the world today is bigger than all of those. And all of those are the biggest threats we've ever seen. And each one of those in and of itself is a threat to all of humanity and a threat to the entire planet. But there's one bigger than all that. And the bigger threat than all that is that we've given up on our voice. We've had our voice taken from us or we've decided that we no longer need to speak or, or that we're not going to be heard. And so we're quieted down now and um, we're no longer speaking our true authentic self. And that's the biggest threat in the world because all the problems that I just labeled, every one of them is going to need some authentic voice in order to deal with it. So the idea of like, you know, it's sort of like having a fire is a problem. It's even bigger problem if there's no extinguisher anywhere. And uh, right. that's what we're talking about. The extinguisher for any of these problems comes in one space and that's in conversation and voice. And if we don't find our true voice, the future looks pretty freaking grim. And I think there's nobody here who would argue that the future looks grim if we don't speak together. And the idea is, is that maybe it's too little, too late. Maybe we're done speaking to each other, but it's another space where, well, what can I do to help people bring their true voice? And that is find my own true voice, be a role model and authentic role model for speaking some degree of truth and the power of that and being gentle when I hear other people's truth, even if the content is diametrically opposed to what it is that I say. So I don't need agreement from other people, but I really do ask for authenticity and genuine uh, gentleness, if you will, a willingness to be accepting and forgiving and compassionate with another person, no matter what they're saying, even if it's 100% different than what I think I know. And that's what I now go through life being is that, um, the urgent, like, like the, um, you know, emergent, the emergent nature of all of us coming together right now, like right now with our true voice could never been more, more important and more overstated, you know, than it is right this very minute. And, uh, somehow maybe that's the reason I'm continuing to walk through the earth, you know, is that the idea of, of representing and then being that guy who, who helps others find their true voice. And that is the name of my new book, actually, you know, is find your true voice. So uh, that's not a not, you know, that's not a coincidence that my book is called find your true voice. That's for sure. Yeah. And I definitely, I want to come right back to that. But a question that I, I have on this is when we say about communicating with one another, I think from a surface level, everybody can understand that. Yes, we need to communicate. We need to have empathy. And a lot of times we even need to have some type of sympathy, but definitely empathy. And, and communication is such a powerful tool. But when you're talking about power, um, for, for let's say war, racism, things like that, there's a lot of people that are already have built the system and come up in the system that they don't want to allow too much communication. Even you can find your true voice all day long, but if your true voice impedes on my power, I have to shut that down. So 
it's like, hey, I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to to speak with you of how I feel. But you know, in the back of your mind, yes, I understand that's how you feel. But your feelings could take away from something that I have and I'm not willing to give it up. So how do you go about that? I think that's where a lot of people get afraid to use their true voice. And me, I am somebody who I've always been very vocal. Uh, but I think that's where a lot of people, because they get afraid that they will be not only ostracized, like we said in the beginning, but they could also be reprimanded. They could have something taken from them to now, no, not only are they just even kill, but now they're below. What would you say to that? We live in difficult times. And uh, it's very real what you said. And um, what's your choice? You know, what's your choice? If we don't talk, it's only going to get a little bit worse slowly but surely. The grass grows like that. You know, um, I have these ideas of, you know, soon our phone will start talking back to us it not even we don't even have to call it siri or alexa anymore and our phone will just be telling us what to do and all that and uh it's a matter of hanging on to what it is that we have to say and look true voice doesn't mean going in all sorts of dangerous areas and just screaming from the mountaintops what you know is right it's not like that you know it's a matter of being steady with your own true voice and then using all the obstacles, the conditions of the game to make is what the largest difference that you can and to be authentic with yourself while you're doing so. You know, it's a temporary world that we're living in. There's only um, there's a hundred yards between each goal line. And uh, there's just like, okay, that's the rules of the game. You know, they're not going to change that to 60 yards just because I don't want to go a hundred yards to get to the goal line. It's a hundred yards. That's how long it is to go from goal line to goal line. That's just how long it is. And uh, there are some things in this world, some obstacles that are being set up or that have been here the whole time that are just conditions of the game. And and I, I think you just you need to address that as being the obstacle is the way, if you will. You know, this is a, it's a way of really walking through this. And, you know, uh, Ryan Holiday said it as good as anybody. You know, it's the idea is, is that. Um, what's there in front of us has to be dealt with by either going over it, through it or around it. And um, that's, that's what's here. And can you, can you stay, can you wake up in the morning, realize that you've lived a full life up until now and that there are challenges here. Some of them will be insurmountable or appear insurmountable. And can you be creative? Can you bring your truth, your genuine, authentic, honest to goodness core message forward and uh, actually make a difference as a dreamer, make a difference as a as an impact creator. Can you do that? And sometimes I don't feel like I could do that, you know, and not even for a whole day. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, notoriously, I I think I I. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get this shit done at all, you know, and then uh, I have no idea. Like, it's a lot of pain. I have no idea how I'm going to get any of this done. And it's stacking up. And, you know, and um, then I get lucky enough to be honest or to be lucky, you know, be fortunate enough to have a group of men or a group of people who are like minded in wanting to deliver goodness or beauty or truth into the world. And they're my friends, you know, they're the people that somehow I have earned to be my friends and colleagues, maybe like yourself. And then we just walk through the world holding hands and knowing this shit's going to be over someday soon. And in the meantime, we might as well play as hard and as good as we can and, you know, hit threes when they're available. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and that's just like you said. I mean, I think that enough of us, we... We don't really take that into consideration that like, listen, the game is already built, right? Like you and you and I think a lot of the times if we know that going into it, we figure out how like, for example, any game, let's use Monopoly, for example. We already know the ways of Monopoly. We know that you got to own property. Ideally, you want Boardwalk Park Place. You want as much of that left hand, right hand, whichever side that that's on that you're sitting at the table. And you want to try to buy up real estate as quick as possible. But 
we know that going in. So that changes our strategy of how we have to play within the game, which is what you said. I think in life, we don't think about those things. We just kind of think of it as a blank canvas. And then we get a shocking revelation that all of a sudden we get hit in the face. And it's like, well, it shouldn't be like this, but it's like, but it was like this before you. And unfortunately, it's probably going to be like this after you. And there takes more than even honestly, in my opinion only, it takes more than just the voice, uh, one voice to be able able to, like you said, scream from the mountaintops. There's ways to go about doing things and you have to figure out how you can be strategic about it. That means relationships to humanity, right? That means having political seats or people that are in your corner that have political seats. There's a lot more that plays into it. And then you just have to stay true to your heart and your message and get enough of those people to hear it and then become one of your friends that then they're willing to take a little bit of that risk of something that's already built. Yeah. Yeah. You say it. Well, you know, it's a, a, a there's some power in community, but these days, um, even the power in community is threatened. So this idea of us being able to assemble is becomes less and less possible. And then you have no idea whether the person next to you agrees with you on important issues or not. Um, so you don't speak your truth for fear that you may even lose your your it can be someone, even your sibling, you know, even someone who's been your best friend. Those relationships uh, get shaken inside of how you say any particular one thing. If you use the wrong word or the long, wrong phrase, I don't even know, you know, and, and sometimes we don't even know, like, you know, I could inadvertently say something on this podcast where you, maybe not you, but a listener would be like, I really thought that Dr. Moss was cool until he said that. And now I think he's a total a-hole, you know, and it's like. I was cool. And then I said something I didn't even know that I said. And now you listen to me and you're like, wow, I thought he was cool. And then he said that. And now I want to, I don't, I discard everything about him. And these are funky times, man. I mean, you just. <laughs> that's cancel culture and in, in, in itself right there. You can be canceled that quickly. And that's where, again, I, I think what I hear and the wisdom that I've learned from this and the validation is you just really at the end of the day, you have to stay true to who you are, because at the end of the day, if you're trying to make everyone else happy, right, you want to just be able to speak your truth because it's not possible. Everyone's ready to point the finger at someone else and you have to stay true to who you are and find those people who are looking for, like you said early on, peace, Right. There's not I know that in our small circle or the people that we see in the media it can look like everybody wants chaos, but that's not the truth. Right. It's just those people get a spotlight put on them and even for a short amount of time. But there's more people out there that want peace, that want serenity, I would say. And if you can find enough of those people, which would be considered your tribe, that's the way that you really continue to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge. You know, it's never been more challenging than it is right now, but it's never been more urgent either. And for people who have been around the block, I'd say both you and I have been around the block in our own ways. Um, the challenge that, or the the onus or the um, responsibility, the accountability is to walk with that truth, including during the moments where you are not being your truth, you know, like like Every day, you know, you get seduced into like all of a sudden I just spent, uh, let's say, 40 minutes scrolling Facebook that I can't stand or something. You know, it's like, oh, let me do it one more minute or, you know, get a bump of dopamine or something like that. And or, you you know, you find yourself drinking too much or you find yourself hurting a loved one or you find yourself sleeping in or missing an appointment or spending too much money or eating too much food. There's, there, you know, in in that situation, there's something about um, being very compassionate with one's humanity, like giving myself a break, like, okay, it actually can reset right now. I can start, I can reset right now. It's like, if I ate too much food this morning, or I slept in, or I hurt somebody, um, which I didn't do, by the way, any of those things. Um, but if I did, there'd be an opportunity to step up right now and reset starting right this moment, like come in touch with my real self as best as I can, maybe sit for a second, um, take a new perspective or re re uh, you know, re uh, form or revitalize or uh, renew my perspective. And then 
give it another try you know some some sort of reason we're still here that's what you know some sort of reason we're still here and i i don't know that reason either it's like sometimes i wonder how that how and why that happened but some sort of reason i'm still here so um i guess i'm here to make a difference still and i might as well step up and say what i need to say and listen carefully to what's being what's being said around me yeah no this is Definitely so much wisdom. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, I want to ask you, for anybody who's listening right now, still rocking with us, they're watching right now even, and uh, they're saying, okay, I understand that he's been able to do it. But for me, I'm, I'm still struggling with this. And they have that little voice in their head. And that little voice, we've all heard it. It says that they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or maybe they don't have enough resources What's the one thing that you would leave that person with to get them to just take action? Well, none of us are strong enough and none of us know what the hell is happening here. And uh, the fact that you don't know is no different. You're no different than Grant Cardone or, you know, Jack Canfield or McCallowitz or me or, or Casanova or anyone. I mean, we don't know. We don't know anything. None of us know anything. Some of us look like we know, and some of us carry it off pretty well as if we got a clue of what's happening in the world. But we really don't know. And you join the crowd of those of us who don't know. And then with respect to finding true voice, it, what's really great about that is it's always here with you, that you know your truth. You don't need to go move to Tibet or live in a cave or sit under a Bodhi tree you, you don't. You don't need to do that. You don't need to walk across America. You're, you can. You can do all those things, and that's cool. But the truth is, your truth is right there with you, and you're familiar with it. You know what your truth is. So the two things I would say to your listeners is, number one, you know, take incremental changes. Like in your next conversation with a loved one or someone, even if, even if it's just a barista, speak your truth just, in, just a slightly more. Like actually get a little bit closer to what matters to you. Continue to walk closer to your truth, respecting the fact that maybe your truth isn't welcome in every setting. It's that's real. Uh, you speak your truth in some settings, you're going to get canceled or censored or ostracized and disappointed or maybe heartbroken, even hurt or reprimanded, like you said. So you don't have to do it everywhere. That's part of, of true voice is figuring out where it's wanted and needed. So take incremental changes. But the second thing, and I think in the end, this is what's, uh, this is the go-to these days for me. And I didn't make this up at all. And that is go be of service. Go, go help anybody do anything. Go help anybody do anything. Help anybody do anything. And then watch what happens in your life when you're truly helping another person do anything. Because there is a warmth and growth and steadiness and grounding and foundational purpose that arises from sheer service that is impossible to explain until you're in it. Like if you're in service in order to make money or if you're in service in order to be liked, that's not the same thing as service. In service, what you're doing is helping someone do anything, helping anybody do anything. And that can bring you out of um, a whole lot of pain or a whole lot of confusion while you're doing it. Uh, there's a refortification, um, you know, a, a revitalization, um, a, a growth, um, a, a receding, you know, um, of, of uh, general human functionality when you're helping somebody do anything. And um, I think that's what I would say for those folks who feel like they're behind the eight ball or, didn't you know aren't as fortunate as me or for some godly reason you think that uh then um helping someone do helping anybody do anything is the number one thing and number two you know make sure you're incrementally growing in the authenticity of your conversations with others Absolutely. Again, so much wisdom, Dr. Moss. This has been a phenomenal conversation. And I want to be the first one if no one else has told you today to say thank you. And I appreciate you. We're going to make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes to your website and any movements that you're a part of. But tell us if anybody wants to stay directly connected with you, 
Tell us where can they find you at? Yeah, so there's a couple places. Uh, the first one is I'm, um, I'm my book. You know, my book is Find Your True Voice, and it's a fun book. It takes a deeper dive into what I'm saying here about the necessity and some methodologies to actually come in touch with your true self. And I'm going to give a free copy to your listeners. Um, so an actual book I'll send to them, and I'll even pick up shipping. Uh, the FindYourTrueVoiceBook.com. That's called FindYourTrueVoiceBook.com. And then I have this summit that I think I'm familiar with. Uh, you might be familiar with. It's called the We the People Summit. And the We the People Summit is gathered and assembled um, uh, several pretty high level um, uh, inspirational influencers who are helping us really find our true voice in conversations that they're having with me. So that's at We the People Online. It's a free summit. And from there, uh, we're accepting donations and we're on our way to raising a million dollars for those people who have been war torn and, and devastated and disrupted in Ukraine. Um, okay. and then there's my podcast as well. So there's Welcome to Humanity podcast. That's my brand name is Welcome to Humanity, self-explanatory. And also, um, I like, you know, doing expert speaking. So, uh, small groups or medium sized or large groups, everyone needs to get a little bit of an injection into what it takes now to bring our true voice forward. Finally, if you really just want to touch your face with me, you can find me at my website, which is welcome to humanity.net or email me directly at Dr. Fred, Dr. Fred at welcome to humanity.net. And uh, I'll be sure to get back to you and see what we can do to make a difference in your world. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I appreciate all of your time. And remember, Dream Builder, just as he said Everyone has a dream, but you got to be willing to take some action on it, right? You got to be able to even just take those incremental steps to get their action because without any action, that dream that you have, and we all have a dream, it will only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. 